0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good evening, everybody. Wind it down the week. Yes. (laughs) We have persevered. We might not have been thriving. We are at least surviving, although the goal is thriving. And that is something I've been talking to a lot of people about in my life, but my clinical practice especially. We're using that word a lot because I think you know, coming out of the difficult time we've just come out of, well not come out of, but still are in, um, people are just trying to survive. They're trying to just get by, you know, am I getting my bills paid? How's my mental health in general? But the goal is actually to thrive. I don't want people to just be doing good or well enough, right, like there's gotta be more than that. Um, So we'll keep talking about that, but let that just be a word that you are kind of uh, workshopping in your mind. Am I thriving or am I just surviving? And is there anything I can do to push forward and, and start to thrive, or, or maybe not? And I just need to be where I am. But it's a question we're gonna keep posing. Um, love news like this, Ohio. I, I, I wasn't, I didn't think it'd be Ohio the first to do this. Although, not surprised when I heard Oregon, Um, decriminalized all drugs, which is great, right? We're not just throwing people in jail for drug use and possession. We're actually saying, hey, do they have a problem? So let's get them help. Ohio has the first harm reduction vending machine. Harm reduction is the way to go. Abstinence is not an appropriate goal for everyone and not everyone wants that. Some people want to continue to drink or use drugs or have unprotected sex, but they just want to take care of themselves to a certain extent and that's okay. Adults have to make adult decisions, right? The goal isn't everyone who struggles at times with these things, we should just remove them from their lives. So they've set up a vending machine that helps promote safer sex, safer smoking, and actual safer injection of drugs, which I know is a very controversial thing for a lot of people, but drug users will use drugs. And the goal should be, how can we make it safer? Because not everyone's goal is to completely come off. So it's a vending machine that people can utilize to get their needs met to protect themselves, because it's a human rights issue. You know, it's like when someone's struggling, we don't just kick them out, we try to make their lives easier. And so I don't believe in letting people hit rock bottom ever. You do help that family member that's struggling with a mental health issue or addiction to pay their rent and continue to stay clothed and dress and find some place to warm. Because we actually know that staying connected and being in relationship with these people helps them have hope. And so no, when someone's struggling, we don't just kick them out. We don't need to do the tough love. Um, we're not doing that anymore. We're actually saying, how can I help you while you learn or choose to make different decisions? How can I still hold space for you and be there? Um, I don't want you to have to lose everything. And so, yes, I will still help you find a safe place to live and have heat and stay clothed while you're struggling. It's a struggle. And it's really easy for people that have never struggled with addiction or mental health issues to just say, why don't they just pull together? Why don't they do better? Don't they realize what they're losing? Well, if you yourself ever struggled with those things, you'd better understand that it's a lot more nuanced and complicated than just get better, do better, you know? So I'm glad we're having vending machines like this. I would love to be able to be a part of creating them here in LA as well for people to try to do the best they can at the times they can. Got to meet people where they're at, right? We can't kick people out when they're struggling. And I see that happen a lot in addiction treatment. If someone comes into therapy that struggles with depression and says I had a depressed week, we don't kick them out. But yet we will drug and alcohol. Someone comes in and they're to a treatment program and they relapse. And we're like, sorry, you got to leave the day program. Or they relapse while inpatient, we kick them out. You're kicking someone out for struggling with something that they're trying to get help around. We don't kick people out of treatment for you know, still being anxious while dealing with anxiety or still having trauma triggers while doing trauma work or still being depressed while dealing with depression. Why do we do that for drugs and alcohol? Ah, because we somehow are holding them accountable to something we can't and shouldn't, right? Jesse Tyler Ferguson uh, wanted to follow up on this one. He came out saying he's gonna raise his son gay until he decides he's straight. Now you know a lot of people didn't like that. Why? Why can't you raise someone gay? What's wrong with being gay? Because if there's nothing wrong with being gay, you can raise your kid that way. Why do we have to raise everyone as though they're straight? That's homophobic. It's also toxic heterocentricity that everyone should be raised hetero because that's the best and right way the best thing for them unless they come out gay. Why? Why can't we assume the opposite? What's wrong with that? Because in the end, it doesn't matter how you raise someone. If they're straight, they're going to be straight. If they're gay, they're going to be gay. <laughs> that's actually the bigger learning lesson. But no, not everyone wants to uh, center heterocentricity right? And that's why we even see it when we talk about gender. Some parents saying, look, I'm not going to force my kid into gender roles, regardless of what their anatomy is. They can wear whatever color they want, play with whatever toys they want, and their authenticity will emerge. But I want to give them the choice. And I support that. I think it can be very traumatic to force something on someone. And what if your kid turns out to happen to be gay? Do you want them to have to come out of the closet because you kept assuming they're going to date the opposite gender and treated them only as their hetero? I think we should treat them with all options as possible. And from the door, say, some people like boys, some people like girls, not everyone has you know, a gender that fits the binary, and that's all okay. And, and I will follow your lead, but I will present all options as possible and healthy because there's nothing wrong with that. So I love statements like that, real, real, real punchy, but it brings up an important conversation that needs to be had. And here's, sticking with that topic, here's a great one. High court rules, same-sex couples from countries where marriage, is, where marriage equality is illegal can wed in Taiwan, beautifully done Taiwan. So again, if you live in a country where you can't marry a same sex partner, Taiwan will marry you and they will honor your human rights. They will honor the the validity and legitimacy of you and your partner's love. I love that. Just like I love that now, some people are fighting to have more than two people put on a child's birth certificate because if more than two people are in a relationship, then the child is more than two parents. And they all have a right to legitimacy. Again, I say it to exhaustion. Everyone has a right to have institutions and laws meet the needs of where people are at, right? And then finally, Nicolas Cage, he's getting married again for the fifth time. Great, keep getting married as much as you need and want to. We've all been in many relationships. Some of them we take as far as marriage, others we don't, but we shouldn't shame someone for having been in multiple relationships, right? Marriage or otherwise, but somehow we make that a sign of, It's like, oh God, Um, he's 57, she's 26. Again, people of course are upset about the age gap. She's an adult, he's an adult, they're in love. Let them be, let them be. Um, No reason to have a negative opinion. If they're happy, I'm happy. You know what I mean? Love shows up in many different forms. I will always support people making decisions for themselves. Dun, dun, dun. Self-care, though, y'all. Hope you are spending your day focusing on joy, pleasure, and some rest. And if not, still some time to do that. We got a great show planned for you. When we come back, we're going to be talking about uh, some stats around incarceration and the heavy incarceration of women and why that's a problem. And then we're going to be closing out the show talking about friends with benefits. What's the best way to enter into something like that so as to make sure all of our needs are met and no one ends up getting, um, you know injured in the, in the uh, process. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris and the new channel Q and
1: radio.com.
0: All right, we're back and uh, important topic. I know there's a lot of words and concepts getting slung around these days. People talking about uh, prison abolition, defunding the police, uh, transformative and restorative justice, really important stuff. And um, the the deeper you dig into the research, you really start to better understand why it is that people are talking about these concepts. Um, we've, we've talked on the show about how the carceral system, the prison system, is um, <clears throat> just punishment. It doesn't actually uh, create any healing. There's literally no actual justice in it. It is not therapeutic or rehabilitative. We're just throwing people away. I do agree that there are some people that need to be... Um, you know, taken out of public consumption because they are continually dangerous and a risk. And we need to find a system that can at least give these people a chance at some form of rehabilitation. But individuals that have done completely nonviolent crimes and uh, as we are legalizing the possession of drugs and letting people that need help actually get into treatment centers and get therapy as opposed to just putting them in jail, which does nothing. And we know that the prison system historically is very violent against people that are gay or trans. we're needing to actually, more importantly, deal with the systemic causes of some of these crimes. Why is it that those people are turning to drugs? Why is it that people are turning to theft? Well, it's because people don't have healthcare, they don't have housing, they don't have their basic needs met. And for some people, these are the only solutions, right? Um, and so we're about things like restorative and transformative justice. How can we actually heal what created these problems, but also how can we mend the damage that was done? Because again, If you want justice, justice is about transformation and healing, it's not about punishment. And our system's really rooted in revenge, totally rooted in revenge. And that's just not healing or transformative at all. Now, when we look at organizations like the Innocence Project, which there's a lot of stunning documentaries, a lot of powerful research, it helps inform us as to why we have to do a lot of prison abolition and why we have to get rid of things like the death penalty, because of the number of exonerated, AKA unfairly incarcerated individuals is astronomical. And I will never be okay with the idea of someone being punished for something they haven't done. And I also don't think that uh, murder, execution, or the death penalty is an appropriate solution for anything. I just never will. But I'm a therapist and I believe in the possibility of transformation and healing if someone's willing to do the work and take accountability. But I wanted to share with you some facts about women that are in the incarcerated uh, carceral system. And this is coming out of work from the Innocence Project, which is a phenomenal organization of lawyers that seeks to get people out of jail that have been wrongfully convicted. And it's really heartbreaking to see the numbers. But uh, fact number one, the population of women in state prisons has grown at more than twice the rate of the population of men. And that is not because women just decided to start breaking the law more. That's because, again, a lack of resources, a lack of health care, people leaving domestic violent situations. Also, women are disproportionately incarcerated in jails where more than half of them have not yet been convicted of a crime and are still presumed innocent. So someone's, you know, seen as possibly having convicted a crime. They have not been convicted. They have not gone to court. So we are still holding the possibility of them being innocent or most likely. And yet they're incarcerated for long periods of time that's a lack of human rights also ready for this one most incarcerated women are also mothers more than 60 percent of women in prison have children under the age of 18 and nearly 80 percent of women in jail are mothers this means that their incarceration is likely to have a major impact on their children and their family members many children of incarcerated mothers are placed in foster care and often these women are incarcerated far away from ever having access to seeing their children And then to reunite when the child's placed in foster care, if they're then released or exonerated from having not convicted, from having not done the crime, what kind of damage is that psychologically on everyone? And that's my point. There's no healing in that. Who who was healed? In fact, it was just a lot more harm. 226 women have been exonerated since the 90s. That's 226. If we have that many, think of how many more are unfairly locked up. Most female exonerees were convicted of crimes that never occurred, 73% in the last three decades were wrongfully convicted of crimes that never even took place at all. These crimes included events determined to be accidents, deaths by suicide, and even crimes that were made up and fabricated. This is, again, why the prison system's a mess, our criminal injustice system, because a lot of lawyers seek to just find someone that they can hold responsible for the crime, but don't actually look to see whether or not that person did it. And upon finding out, sometimes still push forward because it becomes about career and politics, not about justice, even though the word justice is literally built in there. About 40% of female exonerees were wrongfully convicted of harming their children or other loved ones in their care. Um, uh, I mean, this. I, I'm, I'm just looking down all the data. It's, it's really heartbreaking. And again, it really comes back to systemic causes. And that's why I work really hard on talking about things like healthcare, right? Uh, basic needs, insurance, employment. These are the things that, that create a lot of the problems we have. And we talk about, again, transformative and restorative justice, which is often very community-centered. How can we heal the problem that was created? And I want to I just show respect for Angela Davis, who's one of the people that really helped me better understand the problems with the prison and carceral system and how it is about gender and how it is racist and it is homophobic and transphobic and that prison abolition is about creating a better society right and create and addressing the 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 major social problems that lead to this you know because for many the prison industrial complex right is just a modern form of slavery and it's about money and it's about profit and we're trying to kind of shift that you know so we have to rewrite the narrative people in jail or convicted of crimes aren't bad people Oftentimes they're mislabeled or they are dealing with systemic or institutional or social problems and they don't have many solutions, right? And that's why we're trying to, again, help them get employment. We're trying to help them have the right to vote, return their humanity. Um, Even if someone has been convicted of a crime that they've done, they still have a right to their humanity, right? Once someone's been exonerated or they've been released from incarceration, they shouldn't have to move forward continually identifying themselves as a convict or someone who was formerly incarcerated. That shouldn't have to be, I said to addicts as well. Now that you're sober or you've moved on with mental health, you don't need to carry the addict label forward. You don't need to still hold yourself accountable to prior indiscretions as a result of your drug or alcohol use that was problematic. You've healed. You no longer have to be associated with that. You can just re-enter the world. That's part of mental health. The labels we apply to ourselves, the labels socially and culturally that are applied to us. How do they hold us back? How do they stigmatize us? Excuse me. We have to allow people to above beyond and outside of that. Excuse me. We'll keep talking about it. Coming up next, though, we're going to actually be taking a psychological perspective of the Oprah interview with Meghan Markle. Uh, I'm not interested in it in terms of um, the exact situation with the monarchy. That, to me, falls a little under gossip, not interested. But I do want to talk about how we can learn to be better listeners and communicators by using her interview as a uh, entry point. I love stuff like that. you listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q
1: and radio.com. All right, we're back and uh, you guys, did you guys watch,
0: <clears throat> what was this, last week? The Oprah interview with uh, Meghan Markle and Prince Harry. I didn't. Um, just not, not my thing. Although I read read a lot of articles about it. I saw all the battles that came out. I kind of wanted things to quiet down before I brought it up because it was so interest, so interestingly heated. Um, I want to share though, mainly, uh, something that came out in an article, but before that, I thought this was so interesting. So in my world, a lot of people were saying, why is everyone, and this is like a little bit of a paraphrase. Why is everyone surprised (laughs) that the Royal family's racist? Um, because everyone's pointing out that the entire royal family, their, their legacy is really rooted in colonial exploitation and imperialism, which basically means stealing, uh, asserting power, just domination. And, um, you know, that's often, you know, uh, uh, an arm of um, white supremacy. And then I thought this was so funny. I spit out my coffee. So people were saying that, and someone's response was, What? The royal family? the apex of the original hereditary white privilege power structure templated across the world through their historical colonial imperialism men may, may have shades of racism you say and i thought that was really funny where people are joking they're like what did you think the word monarchy meant or what do you think its history is <laughs> like historically speaking it's always been an oppressive system very racist right very uh patriarchal and sexist so i know it's a little highbrow but i thought it was really interesting but um I just wanna talk quickly, this was in the HuffPost, and it was three ways that Oprah, in that interview, showed us how to have high-stake, difficult conversations. And I thought that was a really interesting topic. And as you know, I tend to springboard and take the interesting thread of a topic out of a story because I'm not an anchor, a news anchor, I'm not a reporter or a journalist, I don't wanna be, I'm a therapist, I do a therapy show. So I'm always trying to find the mental health perspective or the uh, therapeutic tip that we can pull out. So Oprah, who's a phenomenal interviewer, and I agree, and um, I was a fan of her show, and she could hold space—very beautiful, non-judgmental space—while also, though, having uh, some assertion. And and she had a lot of self, but yet created space for other people to really safely express what they're going through. And I think the key word is her communication style, but the key word is curiosity. And that's what I always reference when I'm teaching couples better communication skills. You have to be curious. When someone's sharing something with you, instead of thinking, what does it mean for me? How does it impact me and getting defensive or shutting down? You should be thinking first, what are they trying to tell me? right? Staying curious with what it is they're trying to communicate. Also knowing that the more difficult it is, the more they're trying to build intimacy with you, right? Intimacy is sharing things that make us anxious because of how vulnerable and transparent we're being, right? And uh, sometimes it's, you know, really hard to hear and really hard to share. And that's really deep intimacy. And we want to create those kind of relationships. So the article, I just wanted to kind of share and put my own spin on what they were saying. So they were saying there's a couple techniques that she utilized, and this could apply to everyone. First, she find, tries to find some area of commonality. Now, if someone is uh, not you know talking in terms of justice and if someone's debating the worth of uh, someone's identity,'re ta- that's not what we're talking about. We are not talking about you know discussing whether or not trans individuals have rights or gays have rights no. That, that is a whole different topic. That is about human rights. That's never up for discussion. But we're talking about things where people maybe have a different opinion uh, on, on a lower, impactful political level, and you have to find that commonality, right? Where, where do we meet? Because that's a lot of times what sharing is about is connecting. But I thought more, more powerful, excuse me, was how the article pointed out that in her style, she often realizes how the root of conflict is not feeling heard, right? And how Oprah's really good at holding space and making sure that that person she's interviewing feels heard. And that's what makes us walk away from a conversation, really feeling like we've connected to someone or someone's connected to us. Or again, that we've built that intimacy, whether they agree or not, notice how we're not using words like that. It's not about who's correct or agreement. It's about them feeling heard. That's the first part. Giving them your full attention. And we use that word a lot, presence. Just be present. And people in my office will say, well, I don't know what to say when they say that. And I'll say, calm down. We don't need a response. Just be present. Make eye contact. Listen, right? Let them know that they're being heard right? That's all this is about. Stay curious. Don't get into your response yet. Stay in the moment and stay curious. So she validates to let them know that she's listening. She'll repeat what they're saying, which is one of the forms that people use when they talk about active listening is they'll reflect back. They'll sit calm, right? Whatever comes up, they don't necessarily speak or act from it immediately. They let the other person vocalize what they need. And then I love this last point is that if she didn't get a clear answer to maybe what she asked, she has no problem following up. And I share that with clients all the time. You're allowed to what I call do the circle back. Hey, I was still thinking about a conversation we had yesterday or last week or last month. I know it's been a while, it's still in my mind. I never really got to say this. Or since then I've wished I had said this. And you can circle back. You can ask deeper, bigger questions if you don't feel like you've been heard or if you don't feel like you're hearing someone. And that's also how they know that you're being present, because you're asking questions. And that's what I always say to someone who says, I don't really know how to build intimacy. Sit still and hold presence, right? Then let them know you're listening. And then I would say, ask questions, because asking a question when someone's sharing something with you, their day, or a feeling, for those of us that are hard, that, that really struggle to contain emotions, Asking questions is a way for you to sit with it longer and to really engage and let them know you're engaging because it means you're thinking. So always ask questions, either about better understanding or just kind of taking it forward. You know, important listening skills. All right, coming up, we're going to be sliding into those DMs. If you got a DM for us, any question you got, drop it in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. We'll be back. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the
1: new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back. Now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs.
0: This one says, hey, Dr. Chris, I think my sister needs therapy. I've mentioned it to her, but she shuts it down immediately. We went through a lot of trauma in our childhood, a lot of things that my parents put us through, and a lot of things we've both seen. She doesn't believe in it, but I do. I think we could actually benefit from a few sessions together. Do you have a less threatening way of introducing the idea to her or any ways maybe I can convince her to go? So, you know, again, we talk a lot about the fact that um, we have to honor people's boundaries. And whenever someone asks me the question, is there an easy way, a simpler way, a softer way? Often the answer is no. It's a hard conversation and co- hard conversations are hard. Uh, but there's a couple of things in here I want to just dissect. First off, I love that you care enough about your sister that you're thinking these terms. I love that you're supportive and you know pro-therapy, that's great. I love that you've presented that as an option, right? But when someone tells us no, we have to hear them. We have to have good boundaries. When someone says no, I'm not interested, we can't push or force. Because what you're doing is, you think it's a good idea for her. That doesn't mean it is, it just doesn't. And if she doesn't, she gets to have autonomy. People are allowed to say no to therapy, they really are. We can explain to them that it exists, we can help them find therapy resources. We can let them know our experience. We can let them know what it can provide. But if someone says no, you answer, you listen. And I will always go with that. They've said no. If someone asks you out and they say no, you walk away and you move on. You don't follow up again. It, you know Whatever the no is, we have to honor it. Your sister's not interested. So you let that go. It's her journey in her life. And if she wants to live in that trauma, unhealed, unresolved, that's up to her, period. We cannot and nor should we force. And should you convince, no, I'll never help support someone in convincing someone to do something. She's an adult. She doesn't want to go to therapy. Case closed. Um, there's no way to convince someone. You know, all you can keep doing is living your truth, which is every now and then recommending it, saying, hey, you know, it sounds like you're struggling. Again, therapy is an option. I understand that that's not something you're interested in. Again, I'm just reminding you, let me know. I know what the resources are. You can mention it, but you can't convince, can't force. Um, but you should get into it for sure. And this is something you can talk about in therapy. How do I continue to love someone and honor boundaries? You know, how do I learn to let go and let people live the life they're leading? Parents have to do that. Friends have to do that. People continue to maybe use drugs and alcohol in a way that doesn't feel safe or good to us. And we have to learn to let that be and accept that. Like so many versions of that. But um, there's no way to convince. And I'm glad I, I don't help people force change on others, I honor people's autonomy. Um, but a way you can introduce it that's not maybe gonna make her uncomfortable is again talk about your experience. Get into therapy, let her know how it's helping you, let her know how affordable or easy it is. If you can find affordable, really accessible therapy, you know. But that's the best you can do, you know, and then we have to let go and it's hard to let go. It's hard to let go when we think we know it's better for someone in our life. But that doesn't mean it's correct or that you're right. And remember we, we we're always planting seeds. Uh, when we talk about the stages of change or the readiness for change, not everyone's ready to step into action. Even if they're aware that action's needed or possible, you are. Great. Start therapy tomorrow. She might need weeks, days, months, or years. And, and that's part of me being a therapist. I hang in there with people. Not everyone's ready to get sober immediately, even if their life's falling apart as a, you know as a result of their drinking. Not everyone's ready to leave a problematic or abusive marriage or relationship, right? Not everyone's ready to step into action. So we plant the seeds, And we let it fester and we let it grow and we let it strengthen, you know, and and they start to develop a familiarity or an interest or comfort or they don't. But that's all you can do. You know, plant those seeds, be present, let her witness through your journey, how helpful and successful it's been for you. That's it. We model the behavior, provide resources, remain open, but otherwise you have to let go. I know it's hard, but you have to let go. She said, no, it's, a, it's just part of Mental Health 101. You have to honor where people are at. We can't take away their autonomy. Therapy should not be something that's forced on anyone. I don't support court-mandated therapy, and I never will. Therapy is not a punishment. It's not part of the carceral prison system. Um, it's something that people should voluntarily enter into if desired because we can't force psychology or therapy on someone. We can't do We don't do mind control. We can't force change. It's something that I'm available for if someone's interested, period of end of story. It shouldn't be forced on anyone ever, you know? All right, coming up next, we're gonna be talking about friends with benefits. Ah, yes, it can be a beautiful thing, a way to work out of a relationship, a way to work into a relationship, or just its own final goal in and of itself. But what are the things we need to think about, be aware of, and consider to make sure it's healthy for us and the other? That's what we're gonna talk about. And then we'll be closing out the show with some DMs. So if you got a DM for us, drop it in the Loveline IG page and we will answer your question. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris
1: on the new channel Q and on radio.com. All right, we're back and uh, we're talking about
0: friends with benefits. Ah, what a punchy, punchy topic. There are hundreds of different relational configurations that we can have with someone else in our lives. And uh, a lot of people feel like we have to really choose one. Well, are you guys together or are you not? I mean, is that your boyfriend or is it not? And it's like, who knows? Sometimes it's very undefined. Sometimes it's very casual. Sometimes it's very fluid. And often things change, you know, where maybe we were considering someone as a primary partner or a primary romantic partner, and then we realized, nope, not so much, but uh, sex is great, so we'd love to maintain that while we're seeing and dating other people or not looking to, but we wanna have access to that. Sex between friends is um, a really great way for for. for some people to stay close and intimate and connected. For others, sex happens and then they realize, oh, this person is really cool, I'd want nothing more than a friendship, but yet sex can occur at times. So many different ways to relate to people, and sexuality is an appropriate and honest way to build connections, stay connected, repair connections. I tell couples all the time, it's okay when you're feeling distance and space to use sex as a way to jumpstart a lot of closeness and connection. But um, we we always wanna be focused on our mental health and the mental health of others, right? We talk about how Every interaction we have with someone is not neutral. Whether it's a fling, a hookup, dating, they impact us, we impact them. And we feel better in the world, better about ourselves. We move, move forward with more hope, whatever it may be. And um, we wanna take seriously you know, any interaction we have with someone, it's never okay to let it, let ourselves off the hook with some level of humanity by saying it's just a fling, it's just a hookup or whatever it is. Right. And that's why I bring this topic up. You know, what do we need to be thinking about when we maybe are entering into a friends with benefits kind of scenario? So as to prioritize and, and, and really, um, look out for each other and ourselves especially, right? Because what can be problematic is when we're not really all on the same page or clear as to what's happening, right? So we want to avoid disappointment, right? We want to avoid confusing uh, confusion for self and other. So what do we want to do first? Well, we want to be honest about this scenario with self and other, right? We never want to be misleading someone and we never want to misuse sex. And so if you're interested in a uh, friends with benefits scenario, Make sure you, you do it with someone who's mature enough to be honest and transparent. We wanna be able to talk about the fact that, that that's what's going on. We wanna be able to talk about the boundaries of that relationship. Like what kind of expectation can we really have on each other, you know? Um, we don't want anyone to feel bad within the context of that. Also, we wanna be able to talk up about uh, what it is we're looking for right? Uh, some people want it really boundaried. Some people want it to maybe be a, a, a fluidity where maybe sometimes you're spending time together as friends and sex can be on the table, but it's not always expected or demanded, right? Because that's what some people want. The they, they whole idea is if I'm inviting you over, it's always to include sex. And for other people, sometimes they will want that and other times they don't. And they don't want to feel as though them saying, yes, they're open to hanging out is a promise or commitment to sex, which by the way, I want to remind everyone, regardless of what you've planned or committed to, we are all allowed to change our minds at any moment. Mid-sex, while putting on a condom, I don't care what's happening. At any point, someone's allowed to say, I've changed my mind, I'm no longer interested in doing this, period, end of story. But I mean, on a wider scale, we want to have a sense of what we're communicating or expecting or what's expected of us. You know, because again, we might be open to sex sometimes and not other times. Sometimes we just want a non-sexual hangout. And for others, they are only reaching out because of sex. They don't really necessarily want to chat, watch a movie, play video games, go get coffee. And I want everyone to be able to communicate that. Like, hey, I'm not really looking to spend time with you outside of sex. Do you want to come over and just hook up? Like, we have to use that honest languaging. And that's what I say about dating. You have someone on a date, use the word date so they know. You want to break up with someone, use that word breakup so they know that that's exactly what this is. And uh, friends of benefits the same way. Are you looking to just hook up or do you truly want a friendship that sometimes includes hooking up? We want to be able to be mature and open And so you got to be very thoughtful about the people you choose, but make sure you're, you're, you're emotionally ready because sometimes it's friends with an ex, right? Is what friends with benefits is about. Um, or it is just a friend, but you want to be very thoughtful about feelings that might be developing on your part or their part. And you want to call that out. If you think feelings are developing on the part of the other, it's okay to bring that up because it's not just, well, if they say they're down to have sex, well then all's well. No, it's not consent matters, but so does impact and intent. And if you're having sex with someone and it's harming them because emotionally they want more, it's okay to bring that up and to bring that in and say, listen, it really looks like it's hard on you when we're done having sex and we depart, or it seems like there's emotions involved. Can we talk about that? It's called community care. We are responsible for others. We hundred percent are. I'll never agree when someone says, I'm not responsible for the other person. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. You are responsible for what you participate in, create, and how you impact someone. And so talk about that and your feelings as well. If you realize you're developing romantic feelings for someone who's only interested in a friendship with you or friends and sex, you need to talk about that. But you need to also look out for yourself. Don't don't, don't still have sex with someone that you want more from with as a way to just get whatever's available. That will always leave you feeling depleted and that will leave you feeling bad and that can build a resentment against them. And that's not fair to them if they're showing up and just doing their part, right? So always wanna check in with self and other. Are we really all on the same page? Because some people will say that they're okay with that and they're not, you know? And sometimes feelings will develop and maybe both people are on the same page and then in that scenario, that's great. What a beautiful thing right? But we want to be able to talk about it. So we want to be with someone who's honest, confident, and has that transparency because we're not trying to harm anyone. We've got to take a little break. When we come back, we're going to keep talking about friends with benefits. Um, So many different ways that we can relate to other people and so many different ways to use sex, to stay close, to stay connected, for fun, for soothing. Talk about
1: it all. Stick around. Listen to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on radio.com. All right, we're back and we're talking about friends with benefits. We're just talking about the fact that there's so many different ways we
0: can relate to someone, but we always want to be aware of what our motives are, right, and how it's impacting us and also what our motives are I'm sorry, what the, part, what the other person's motives are. And we are responsible for others, right? Our feelings, their feelings. We want to bring it up. We want to bring it in. We want to talk about it because we're not having sex with people that we have a friendship with so as to harm self and other. We're doing it because it feels safe and comfortable because we want deeper intimacy with that friend. We want some pleasure. So much closeness is built out of that. Sometimes it's a hookup that becomes a friendship. Sometimes it's a friendship where there's some sexual chemistry, but no one's looking to necessarily date or form any kind of committed relationship. And that's the safety and the beauty of it you know, and, um, some people have social circles where sex is very available and occurs, but just be aware of what you're looking for. Be aware of, aware of what they're looking for, have some transparency, talk about it. Right. Um, cause we don't want to harm people. So make sure you're emotionally ready and prepared and that they are, uh, because a lot of people misunderstand or, or don't know how to hold a boundary. with someone that they've been very close and sexual with. And then, you know, not everyone has the ability to just leave it as such right? We have to learn how to do that, that fluidity. Also, we want to be thoughtful about safer sex practices. Um, are we having sex with other people? Are we out in the dating world in other ways? When's the last time someone was tested? I saw it with COVID. People would really negate any kind of discussion of COVID safety practices because they're like, well, I know that person. It's like, I'm sorry, what? Just because you know them well doesn't mean you can't get COVID from them. But I'd hear people saying that, well, it's my best friend. So of course we see them inside with no masks. I'm sorry, how the COVID virus isn't going to enter and infect their body or yours because they honor this friendship boundary. It doesn't, doesn't work like that with viruses and bacteria. They're equal opportunity invaders. And so just because you know them well, doesn't mean that both of you or either of you aren't possibly setting the other up for a transmission. So yes, you need to talk about that. <laughs> hey, when's the last time you were tested? What kind of safer sex practices do you utilize? If you're not able or willing to have that conversation, then you're not ready or mature enough to have sex, period. I will always say that. If you're not ready to talk about safer sex practices and what you want and need and enjoy sexually, take a break. Practice that first, having those conversations. Talk about that. That's why I love online use, online sex apps, you know, um, and, and, and whatnot. People learn communication, talking about these things, you know? Um, Also being open, like I love the fluidity. Maybe feelings will develop, that's okay. If we're in a trusting adult friends with benefit scenario, we're we're able to talk about it, you know? But you have to know what your boundaries are. And I want people to communicate that. Sometimes people want someone to stick around, sometimes they don't. Sometimes people maybe wanna sleep over, sometimes people don't. Gotta be able to talk about that. Don't allow someone to force a sleepover you're not wanting. How about that boundary? It's okay to say, hey, that was really fun. Um, there's some things I need to get back to though. Like, let, I'll hit you up later in the week or let's do this again. Or like, thanks for stopping by. Don't feel like you have to allow more than you're comfortable or willing to allow, you know, and sleeping over is a really powerful thing. And some people can't tolerate that and that's okay. Cuddling is another version of that. Are you open and interested in that? Or does that feel like we're moving into more of a romantic dynamic that doesn't feel honest with who you are or what you're interested in? Sleeping over and cuddling are the big ones. <clears throat> don't feel like you have to and don't necessarily feel like maybe that's not on the table because some friends are open to that, just cuddling, maybe never sex. They're just open to the intimacy of cuddling, hand-holding, that can feel really good, you know? Kind of like the friends that you maybe lean up against or put your head on their shoulder, you know? same sex, opposite sex. I wanna live in a world where regardless of desire or sexual orientation, we can have intimacy with friends that's not always just verbal, but we can lean on them, lean against them hug them give them a kiss hello or goodbye we allow that in some cultures and we allow that between some genders but not all not always everyone always again with consent and comfort but um so be thoughtful about that and also you have to be aware that Friends with benefits means that that person might be actively in the dating world or might at some point, and they might maybe decide to focus on someone romantically or even enter into something monogamous with them. And you might then be transitioned out of a friend with benefits, a friend who has sex into just friendship. And so be aware of that, that this might be time limited. And at some point they might say, listen, I've started to really get romantically involved with someone. I want to funnel my romance towards them or that person i was dating casually it's now serious and we talked about monogamy and so me and you now just have to be friends you have to be able willing to talk about that and we can transition just into friendship you know we can hold those boundaries but be prepared for the possibility of that so we have to be very thoughtful about demanding a lot of time and prioritization you know because you're a friend you're one of many and um, they might again like i said actively be you know, talking to others. So you can't get mad or angry if that happens because that is very much a possibility. And that's also why some people do that. You know, for them, a friend with benefit is a way to have safe, comfortable, intimate sex while maybe they're out there looking for a romantic partner. Or maybe they have multiple sex partners, right? Maybe they're very casual and have other friends like that. So have to be very thoughtful about what we're expecting, right? Clinginess, how much time and energy we're demanding from them, and then not Getting resentful or punishing them if and when they decide to move into something with someone else, or maybe you do. And so keep dating. You know, you don't owe them that kind of commitment. Keep dating. Keep your options open. That's that's supposed to be part of this. Is it's loose, it's light, it's fun, it's easy. The expectations are low. You know, but we have to check in with our ability to do that. Some people don't have the constitution or the boundaries or the confidence to be able to step into something like that, and that's okay. Because this would be something that enhances our life, right? Sex is one of those few things that should always be positive to neutral. It's like I say, it's like dessert. It shouldn't be something that feels out of control or we use against ourselves or makes us feel bad. Otherwise, you gotta not, it's not about then not doing it, it's about changing our relationship to it and learning how to factor and fold that into our lives, you know? But um, it can be a beautiful thing. And don't knock it if other people are doing it it's not something that's right for you. Because I hear people slam that. They'll say, oh, well, clearly you're in love with each other. No, that's not true. (laughs) Just like they say about friends with exes. Nope, you can actually truly just be a friend with an ex. It's about being an adult. It's about having boundaries. It's about trust and self and other. We're always trying to be better, right? Not always living from our fear and our anxiety. We're speaking to the lowest part of someone from our lowest parts, right? We have to try to be better and demand better you know. Um, all right, DMs. If you got a DM for us, you can drop it in our Loveline IG page. And uh, I want to check out past episodes of Loveline, you can do so by going over to wearechannelq.com. Scroll on down, look for my face, click on it. We got all the past episodes there. We'll be back. You're listening to
1: Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back and uh,
0: just continuing our discussion of relationality, different kinds of relationships, friends with benefits. Now we're talking quickly about uh, breakup mistakes that make things worse. This ties to last article, uh, last topic, because remember, friends with benefits is for many somewhat of a in-between space, a liminal space, a a holding pattern, right? While they're, you know, not wanting to be in anything more committed or while they're casually dating, working towards that or building that with someone else. Um, And sometimes we have to exit. Uh, but listen, I work with people that sometimes stay in a relationship that's run its course because they're afraid to exit. What will people think? Will I find better? So what are some of the things that hold people back? Well, that's the first one. Not sure that they'll find something better or that they'll meet anyone. But what means more to you? The possibility of finding better and going on the journey and, and living your life fully while on that journey? Because that's part of it. While you're open to finding relationship and dating and, and, and creating the conditions for that to occur, you got to kind of build a life that has worth and meaning on the way. We, don't, we shouldn't put our lives on hold with our focus just on that goal. And studies show over and over, staying in a relationship just to have one that is toxic will always be more detrimental than singledom we have to be less afraid of singledom. We have to not pathologize it. We have to not be so afraid of it. There's a lot of beautiful things that emerge, but we're such a relationally obsessed culture that we assume that that will make things better. No, being in a relationship improves some things. It also adds complexity. It's, you know, but it's not better to just stay in something, to have something. It's making you miserable. It's a little bit of an outdated way of being. The younger generations are more familiar with singledom. They delay marriage. Some of them don't ever step into that. But the older generations tended to and continue to tend to in things that are toxic and miserable and unhappy. Um, and I don't know why. And here's why. Some of it's fear, right? Ageism, a lot of those factors. Um, but, you know, that's part of the process. Uh, some people are afraid, again, that, um, you know, loneliness or boredom or whatever it is that they're afraid they're gonna then step into is gonna be there, but that's why I love the idea of leaving lovingly when things are feeling okay, so we can casually work out like the way we worked in. It doesn't have to be that this person's ripped out of our life and then we're lonely, but that's also why while in a relationship we're maintaining relationships with friends and family members, right? But some people think that being in a marriage or relationship our life should shrink down and we lose contact and access to those people, and then that's part of the fear that keeps us staying in a relationship. But what's on the other side of that? It's like, well, how, why did you devalue all your friendships? Or why did you allow your partner to take them away from you? So it's this whole idea that loneliness and aloneness shouldn't exist if we're always maintaining all of our relationships, right? But some people, when they leave, they, they try too soon to be friends or they don't try at all, right? So we have to walk that fine line and that nuance, right? And part of getting out of something that's not good for us is also thinking about the bad times, right? Reminding ourselves, that maybe I'm idealizing or romanticizing what I'm in. And it's not as great as I think it is. Because again, we haven't maybe built a life that we'll feel good about stepping into or maintaining because we've let it shrink down around this relationship. And so that, it's part of that anxiety. So that's why, again, on the front end, while in a relationship with someone, maintain contact with your friends. Keep participating in a life that gives you joy, meaning, and value. So that if the relationship does end or you need to step out, you still have joy in your life. You still have things to propel you forward. And then we can think honestly about the relationship. We can really assess, was it good for me, Right. We leave lovingly. We work our way out like we worked our way in. It doesn't have to be such like a harsh severing. And that's what some people do though, right? We we don't have these r- r- like rituals to end relationships. People bring up words like closure, which no one ever really gets because we don't live in a very authentic, intimate culture where people will share why they're leaving. They'll just say things like, well, a lot of people will just ghost. And then others won't really own, you know the whole it's me, it's not you. Versus maybe saying to someone, listen, we're not a good match, or the chemistry is not there, or I don't really think we have a similar dating relational style. Or, you know, it was very you were very unkind to me at times, right? Or I'm interested in someone else, or I'm happy to be single for a while. Like people, I wish people did provide some sense of closure, some reflection back as to what it was like to be in a relationship with that person. But again, to get that, we have to have created that kind of relationship where it's safe to share those things with us, right? But again, we don't wanna be staying in relationships romantically that aren't working for us. But the way we make sure that that won't happen is to work on doing the work while we're happy, right? But we wait till things are really bad. And then, like I said, we're without friends. We're without other things that give us joy and meaning, right? That's why I wish we had pre-relational counseling. Remember that old school premarital counseling? People don't really do things like that anymore, but it's not a bad thing to do to talk about what are the things we wanna set up and build in with the acknowledgement that maybe it'll end. But I think that's also what scares people is people enter not even wanting to confront or consider the idea that maybe this will only be good for us or last for a few years. They don't even wanna acknowledge that. And so they go all in with the assumption that this will be forever. I think that's to the detriment. (laughs) I think people should acknowledge, look, if this doesn't work out, let's build a kind of relationship that doesn't leave us worse off. You know, and let's commit to telling each other where we're at, doing that yearly check-in, checking in every couple months, getting a the couples therapy. It's not just for couples that are struggling. It's also for couples that want to never get to a struggle, you know. Sometimes people enter when it's too late, you know. Don't be afraid of things like that. Um, all right, so uh, DMs. Got a DM for us? Drop it on our Loveline IG page. Want to check out past episodes of Loveline? You can do so by going to wearechannelq.com. Um, but whatever question or thought you might have, uh, drop it in the DMS because whatever you're wondering about, someone else might get some uh, good knowledge from, you know, always dropping those gems. All right. We'll be back.
1: You're listening to love line with Dr. Chris on the new channel, Q and radio.com. All right, we're back now. It's time to slide into those DMS sliding into the DMS. Tonight's
0: question asks, uh, Hey, Dr. Chris, my name is Darren. I've been thinking more and more about transitioning, but in all honesty, everything I read online doesn't make sense and is overwhelming. I don't have anyone I can talk to about this, so I was wondering if maybe I had some trans resources that could help me figure out the right thing. Um, I don't have any solid resources that I can direct you to that I stand behind. Um, I'll uh, Well, let me say it like this, actually. So I wrote a chapter for a book called Mindful Masculinity, and for those that are um, interested in stepping into maleness, masculinity, or whatever it is. That's an amazing book. I wrote a chapter. Again, it's called Mindful Masculinity. I think it's a great book for everyone. Uh, it presents a healthier, more sustainable, mentally health focused perspective on, you know, masculinity, getting away from toxic masculinity. I don't know what, um, what kind of gender movement we're talking about. But um, so that's there. Outside of that, I think a good gender therapist is great because I want you to make sure you're considering mental health impacts of everything, right? Uh, so it depends on the state you live, but you'd want to find at least a certified sex therapist, a CST, certified sex therapist. And that is someone who is trained, at least topically in gender, which is something that traditional therapists tend to not have any clinical experience or education around. If you can't find that, look for a gender therapist. You know, these are people that would market themselves as such. You would see those keywords in their bio, right? Um, but that would be number one, do that. Also, find or connect with your your local LGBTQIA center or the closest one. They would have resources that are local to you because they have things that are group therapy, they also have community, and it would be great for you to be around people that are going through a similar process and they can help you with pitfalls and their resources because it can be something big to step into and I I don't know where you are so I don't want to just give you a national site. Um, So again, local LGBTQIA center, find a uh, local sex therapist, or gender therapist, but community is going to be huge. Find community online. Follow their Twitters, their Facebook pages, their uh, IG. There's a social media scholarship, which is beautiful stuff. People are developing and putting their academic and intellectual work on their social media. Build community. You know, find people that are going through what you're going through. People that have gone through what you're going through right? And that's a beautiful resource that we can feel empowered, connected. Because if you have no one to talk to, then that's kind of telling me that you're socially living in isolation around that. And you want to have a social network. So start to kind of work on building that. And that will naturally... Kind of guide and reinforce and answer questions. But that's the best we got. And those, I think, are really great resources. Tons of tons of tons of great books. Uh, therapy. Uh, like I said, LGBTQIA Center. They'll have groups, meetups, resources, doctors, um, community building, and then also social media. Great resource, always. Because um, you need someone. You know, we need community around whatever it is, but if we're especially, unfortunately, part of an exploited marginalized identity, which being trans is in our culture, you definitely wanna have that. Uh, Going through things alone and on our own is is really difficult, you know? So reach out to those resources. But I want everyone to think about that. We all need to really work on connecting community building in general, because we live very isolated, individualized lives. Also through COVID, a lot of us have retreated, leaned out and pulled back. And uh, how can we lean back in? How can we reconnect? Um, Checking in on the health of those around us. It's kind of like the end of the week check-in, like how healthy is the community you're a part of, if at all? How healthy are your friends? Do you need to reconnect? Do you need to build new ones? I mean, that's something we can be doing at this time. that is our show, y'all have a great weekend rooted in self-care, tons of joy and pleasure and get as much rest as you can. Set some boundaries around your workload, how accessible you are to people, take some time to yourself, get outside, get some fresh air, some sunlight, wear your mask, take space, but you know, look around, see some human beings out there and if you haven't and you are eligible for the vaccine, I advise getting it, get in there, get it done so we can all move on, let the world reopen safely. I know it's reopening in some places, but that doesn't mean it's been done safe or following the science. Got a DM for us. Drop it in the DMs on our Loveline IG page, always open. And uh, you want to check out past episodes of Loveline. You can do so by going to wearechannelq.com, scrolling down, looking for my face, clicking on it. There are all the past episodes. We'll be back on Monday night as always. Um, Yeah, look out for each other. Be kind to yourself. And uh, as always, thanks for hanging out and you all enjoy the rest of your night.